You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and I wanted to make a quick note on what I mean by tapping into the minds of today's impact players. I've had a few people come to me and say, well, what, do you, what is an impact player? Uh, what do you mean by that? And an impact player is somebody that is seeking first and foremost to make an impact in people's lives. Compare that or contrast that with other people who are looking to uh, only make money, like that's their sole goal, or other people who are um, just you know, they've settled in life, or uh, that they have a vocation that is really more about their own, you know, pursuing their own passions. An impact player is somebody who's really looking to develop their own potential, but do it in a way where they impact and uplift other people around them. It's exciting to be uh, in connection with those types of people. And if you've been a listener of this podcast for a little while, I imagine it is for you too. One of the reasons why I created this platform was because not only did I want to connect with interesting, fascinating, intelligent experts in the world that are making an impact, but to also give a platform for up and coming impact players as well. And my guest this episode is Tim McCauley. And in many ways, he's not an up and coming expert. He's somebody that's already demonstrated genuine insight and genius into the ability to help other people live their highest versions of themselves. He's created a thing called Soul Surfer School, and uh, he uses the metaphor of paddleboarding and surfing to help people find the flow in their own life to fulfill their own unique genius and their own uh, highest version of themselves to fulfill their potential. So this call, uh, actually, in many ways, I've said it to him before, to Tim before, that talking to him almost feels like you're on the ocean. There's these ways of of passion and, and genius, and then there's kind of a little of a lull where you kind of think about things a little bit more, and then another wave comes. It's, so uh, it, it's pretty interesting. I'd love to get your feedback on this. Um, you can contact me through my contact page on my website at pkexperience.com, or you can leave a review on the iTunes store in your podcast app. It's another way you can get a hold of me. But uh, with that, why don't we dive into the call? Here I am with Tim McCauley. All right, I'm here with Tim McCauley. How are you doing, Tim? Doing great. Awesome, man. It's, uh, we were just sort of laughing before we started recording here how we got connected and synced up, and it was just one of those serendipitous connections that, you know, you just uh, – I'm sure you've met people before where you're like, I, I just need to talk to that guy. And I think that's actually the first thing I te- uh, you yeah, know, messaged It was, him. we need to talk. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, sure. And you said, wait, aren't you going to vet me? Yeah. What? I don't even know what that means, but. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I usually if I I was being a little cheeky, you know, when I sent you that, like, who is this guy? We need to talk, whatever. So I was assuming that you were going to come back with like, yeah, man, uh, who are you? (laughs) Why are you? Why are you talking to me? That's that's what was so funny is like, what are you doing right now? And we jumped on the phone. What was it like? 1130 at night. (laughs) (laughs) I I, like the way. I'm never gonna do that again. Uh, that was that was very stupid of me. We, I, we we got into it. Yeah, we got into it, and then my <laughs> mind was buzzing with possibilities all night long, and I didn't even sleep. Oh, that's I had like two hours of life. sleep. Yeah, I love it, but um, I'm finding that I need for me, I need to fit my life into some constraints because uh, if I don't, then it takes me two or three days to recover. Like I was telling you earlier, yeah. after I got up the next day with two hours of sleep. I lost my uh, flow basically, and then I spent the next two days being insecure about this interview. So <laughs> I'm glad I did it, but I will not do that again. <laughs> I, I will definitely schedule a time to talk. 
That's so. funny, man. Well, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is, uh, first of all, we have a lot in common. You're doing a lot of di <clears throat> different marketing things and involved in some of the same communities I am. Um, but I also just noticed that when we were talking, like you've got a lot of interesting stories to tell and you're a pretty good storyteller. And I, I'm always down to chat with somebody who's, who's got that sort of background. So, okay. um, for those that don't know who you are, let's give them just a quick brief overview of like the soul surfer thing and, and, and maybe some other stuff and having already talked to you a little bit, I, I know you can go for a while. So let's just dive into it. And, and, uh, yeah, I was going to say, if you have a reader's digest version and you want to put me in, put, put me in a box there, that might, uh, cause you know me, I'm going to blah, 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 blah. And I've got yeah. tangents. Well, why don't you just share what, if somebody said to you, what is soul surfing? Uh, soul surfing is actually a style of surfing. Um, back in the seventies, uh, a guy wrote about the soul surfer, the new age. Um, it was about the time when Timothy Leary was surfing and doing a lot of LSD and stuff. And they were talking about this new evolutionary surfer out there. And, uh, off of that concept in surfer magazine, I think it was 1974 before I was born. Um, they started talking about the soul surfer and this is when the industry was getting up and basically the soul surfer is the guy that's not sponsored. He's the guy that doesn't care about, he's probably the best surfer out there, but he's out there to commune with the wave. And you can tell a soul surfer style when they get onto a wave is that the waves actually deciding where they're going, not them. Um, they can carve, they can do all of those things, but they let the energy of each wave create art through the board and through themselves basically. Got it. Um, I, I didn't know anything about soul surfing, but I was actually practicing surfing as part of my, my keeping me sober 2005, six, somewhere on there, 2004, five and six. And, um, I was out at San Onofre and one day it was a little overhead, not that big. And San Onofre is a, a, not a wave that doesn't really pitch up. So even when it gets big, uh, you can, you can kind of be safer than most places. And I'd been there every day for probably a year and a half. And I still hadn't even reached the point in my surfing evolution to be able to come down and do a bottom turn. I was just like, you know, the oh shittiest God. surfer out there after a year and a half. Like it was uh -huh. pathetic. So some guy paddles over to me. I just did my first bottom turn and I come up and I come up off of the lip and I just, oh, it was such a magical experience. And I paddle out of that. And I come up and some dude paddles over to me and he goes, Hey, what's up, Soul Surfer? And I'm like, What's up? And he goes, Hey man, I just wanted to thank you for coming out here. I've been watching you surf forever. And I saw you hit your bottom turn finally. You've been working on that for a while. And he goes, You gotta be one of the best surfers I've ever seen. Really? I was like, What? Who the I said, dude, that was the first time I hit that. And I barely even stayed on it. Like I was like, What? And he said, Yeah, but he said, I've watched you for six months not catch a damn wave. Every day you were out here stumbling around, getting out of people's way every time you could. And he said, but when you got on shore, I've never seen anybody with a brighter smile and more stoke. Hmm. And he said, and you reminded me and my crew what surfing was. And uh, I already know that you don't even know who I am. And it's awesome to me that you're out here surfing and you don't know who you're surfing with. He said, I've, I've won the longboard championship 10 times. Mm. My friend over here who, who you surf with a lot, uh, and I, I, I don't even remember their names, <laughs> but they were basically like 
old school longboard champion surfers, like all of them in the circuit. And they lived in San Clemente surfing. And they always called me the soul surfer because uh, I had, I don't, don't even follow surfing. I don't even, I still don't even know who they are. Wow. And then the guy that shaped my board shaped it because he wanted to teach me. He wanted to get me out of playing poker. My first addiction outside of uh, drugs and alcohol when I got sober in 2004 was, oh, I'm going to be a professional poker player. <laughs> I, I love that you said your first addic addiction outside of sobriety, drugs, and what was the other one? <laughs> drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Well, it, um, if you know any, do you positive know about addictions? What's that? Do you know anything about like AA, the big book? Sure, I know about AA. Um, well, I actually just recorded a call with uh, with with a woman who helps people with their addictions. The, the AA, the AA has a big book, and and in the beginning of it, they talk about uh, Bill. Bill W was an alcoholic, and some guy showed up at his house that he was friends with, who was an alcoholic, and he and he had been in recovery. And he sat down with Bill and he said, look, man, some guy showed me this, showed me the way and I've got the way, let me show you. So it worked so well for him. They went out and found another one and then they built, and this was in Ohio and they built AA from there. What people don't understand is that the guy that Bill's friend learned from was a patient in a, a sanitarium with, with Carl Jung as their, mm -hmm. as his spirit. Carl Jung says that alcoholism is a spiritual malady, that, that, that the alcoholic understands the spiritual realm and when they, and they feel uncomfortable in this world and when they first get high off of anything, they associate that with their spirituality. And then they just, they, it, it, their, their problem isn't the alcohol, the alcohol is a symptom or the right. drugs or whatever. And uh, I tested that theory uh, because... <laughs> I have to have an addiction. I have to be, I'm a dog with a bone. So um, I went from alcohol to alcohol and drugs and um, stayed sober for quite a bit of time and went into poker, then did two years of surfing. During the time of surfing, I ran a marathon. Um, 2008, I got a little depressed. Um, a girl that I was dating had an abortion and it crushed my soul. And I'd been paddling, I'd, I'd been I got third place in a canoe championship, uh, U.S. championships of canoeing that year. And um, on the off season, this happened. And I'd been paddling uh, by myself and surfing every day, just kind of depressed and wanting to die. And uh, one day, other rather than commit suicide, I just woke up one day and got an email that said, you can write a book in 30 days. I don't know how I got on that email list, but I was like, always wanted to be a writer. I'm going to write a book in 30 days and see how that goes. Hmm. So I wrote a book and two years later published it. And uh, then I, I was like, I'm going to be a multi-billionaire author. And then I realized you got to learn about marketing before you can sell shit. And I didn't know anything about marketing. And my book was a hyperbolic piece of shit. <laughs> it was hilarious. So I, uh, I immediately got into the shiny whole of, of marketing in 2011 and looked up last year going, what the hell did I just spend all of that money and time on? That's, that's a good way to put it. A shiny hole. I've never heard that before. It's, cause it's simultaneous hole. shiny object syndrome plus a deep, dark black hole that you, <laughs> if you're not careful, you can slip down into. And, and, and once you get wow. to a once you get to a certain point, man, it's almost defeating because you see other people that were at your level all of a sudden 
fly by you. Yeah. Attraction and fly by you, and you're like, wait, I'm smarter than that asshole. What yeah. just happened? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to cuss. My bad. Try not to cuss. I listened to a David Goggins or whatever that guy's name. I tried to listen to him. Everyone's telling me I need to listen to him. Yeah. And in the first 20 seconds, I was like, I don't want to hear that word anymore. A lot of F-bombs. Yeah. 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 So, you're you're welcome. I, I mean, I don't have a any restriction on that, but yeah. if you're trying to personally, I'm trying to personally do it. <laughs> One of the things I'm I'm just I think that uh, some of the I, I'm I I've used the word my whole life. It's literally my favorite word. It's I use it in almost every sentence, and I'm I'm finding that uh, I don't mind using it. I just mind hearing it. So I think that that that's time for me to kind of tone it down a little bit gotcha yeah for me it's a quality over quantity thing i mean if yeah, yeah yeah, yeah if, if i drop it, it i want it to mean something just exactly. like oh, it, yeah. you got to reserve it you can't not have it you got to have that in your back pocket but if you say it all the time then it becomes a crutch and you're uh-huh. you're not communicating yeah so all right well, we'll we'll keep it we'll keep it at bay in case i'll try it and see what happens you're there but see what happens uh, <laughs> So how did you, like, what, what got you, you talked about how the addictions are the symptoms, not the actual problem. Like what, what was going on in your life to where you felt like you needed to, to get into other vices to steal you away from your reality or what? I don't, you know, this um, is ignorant really about it. I had an alcoholic dad. Um, he wasn't the nicest guy, you know, yeah. Yeah. he did some shit that he shouldn't have done, yeah. said some stuff he shouldn't have done. And then some of the stuff, like in retrospect, because we healed our relationship in 2010. I got deported from Brazil, went back to Ohio on a, on a whim. I was in Brazil getting a ticket, and I had all of my stuff in L.A. still because I'd been living in Venice Beach before I left for Brazil. And I had two jobs available for me and a place to stay. And the guy said, look, I'll help you get back on your feet, and you don't pay rent for three months. And then if, if we make it as roommates, then maybe you can pay half of my mortgage for me. Um, he was going to get me my job back at the conga room in downtown Los Angeles. And he, his buddy was opening up a nightclub in long beach and I'm a bartender. Um, and when I was right before I bought the ticket, I went out and meditated at this little spot in Guadalupe. And I, I, I let my vision control me. Um, and I know that it, it sounds weird, but I sat there and meditated on best-selling author owning several businesses, um, having a wife and kids and all of that kind of stuff that I want in the future. And I hadn't been home in 16 years and I just felt like uh, I wanted to be there for Christmas because my sister had three, a new kid. She was three months old at the time, or she was born in November of that year. She was still pregnant with her. Um, and she had uh, two sons and I'd never been in the room with them to open up Christmas presents. I'd only seen one video of them opening up Christmas presents. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of that. And for whatever reason, I got this pang that somebody wasn't going to be there for the next Christmas. And I was like, what if that's true, Tim, then what is the decision here? And it became no decision. I go back to Ohio and then spend three months there, go down to Georgia with my sister, spend Christmas with them and then bounce back to California. Mm-hmm. You know, but three months of my life isn't going to make a bigger difference. Mm -hmm. So I went and weirdly enough, um, on January 4th, some lady was driving 70 miles an hour in a 45 zone and ran right through my sister's car and killed her 10 year old son. Oh man. Yeah. That was terrible. The, the, I got back to Ohio in October and 
rented a trailer right next to my dad's home. And my dad's home was uh, at that point was the external representation of what it feels like to be a Macaulay inside. It was, he had, he didn't have heat in Southeast Ohio, didn't have a heater. He got rid of the gas because he got in an argument with the gas company. So he had these little furnaces all over the house. He had plastic to wrap up one room so he could be hot enough warm enough and just and and it was an episode of hoarders it was horrible man i took out 67 bags of of garbage out of his house the first weekend i was home and i never saw him leave the house in three months i went over to see him every every couple of days but he didn't want me in the house too much so i could only be there for about 10 minutes and when when i right before i went to uh Georgia, I, I said to him, I said, Dad, I'm going to tell you this. I know it sounds crazy, but I feel like someone's dying this year and I want my family with me for Christmas. And I said, and I'm looking at you and no offense, it's probably going to be you, buddy, because you're not looking too hot. Oh, man. And he was like, no, I don't want to go, man. I don't want to. I said, Mom's going to be there. I already talked to her and she said, it's cool if you show up. She has no problem with you. You have no problem with her. Let's go see your grandkids, man. What if one of them dies? How bad are you going to feel? You ever going to get over that? He was like, oh, no, shut up. Don't even talk like that. And I said, that's the reality, Dad. We don't get to control this shit. Mm-hmm. But we have to live like someone could die. And he didn't listen, so he didn't go with me. And when I came back, it crushed him. So when I was going back down to Georgia, I just went over and packed his stuff and put it in a car. And I literally grabbed him by the shirt and picked him up. And I said, look, I'm not a little kid anymore. Get in the fucking car. I'm kicking your ass and taking you with me. Mm-hmm. And he said, let's go. And we went through a, a blizzard 2011 we drove through the mountains of uh and we were we were probably uh, uh, he kept i kept showing him the the app on the phone and we were 20 miles in front of a blizzard that followed us straight down they had one of the worst ice storms they've ever had when we buried adam and uh we spent a month and a half in, living in a hotel room in georgia trying to trying to be there for my sister and stuff and when i came home i realized I couldn't just leave my dad. So I just kind of stuck around in Ohio and I fucking hated it. Hated that place, man. I can't stand Ohio. Yeah. That would be a tough place to, I mean, especially if you have a bit of a, a, an estranged relationship with your father and then being in Ohio and staying together in the same room. That's a, that's a lot. So I, I kind of got trapped back into the bubble you know, that bubble of everybody else's reality and, and not tuned into my signal, but I would tune in every now and then, and I was trying to put it out there and then I'd get frustrated and act like a douche. So people would be like, look at Mr. Self-help yoga guy who can't keep his shit together in the bar at night. You know what I mean? So it was just kind of this perpetual kind of back and forth thing. And oddly enough, I had like four or 5,000 people following me on and that subscribed to a newsletter. And one day some guy, um, that was on the newsletter. I don't even know how he found me, but he was like, dude, when are you going to sell something? Like you run the best newsletter. He said, I'm a marketer. I'm on 300 different newsletters and yours is the only one I open up every Saturday. Mm-hmm. I literally make coffee thinking, what's he going to teach me this week? No, wow. sell something. What are you company. doing, man? And he was like, what do you do? And I said, Oh, I'm a bartender, you know? And he was like, what? He said, I know people that do coaching that do what you Tell, talk about what you talk about. You can make a lot of money. And then boom, I'm like, I'm going to be a life coach. <laughs> uh, dude, you know how many thousands of dollars I've spent on certifications and marketing programs? I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I've spent a shit ton myself. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. So uh, long story longer. 
uh, 37th birthday, I roll up to, I, I, I have pancakes, or my dad makes me waffles and he's a little drunk and he's so proud of me. And I'm just like, whatever. And nobody, nobody that I'm friends with on Facebook and I have 500 friends that were 20 miles from me. Not one person was going to invite me to dinner or they all wish me happy birthday on Facebook, but none of them came to me. None of them said, come to me. Let's, let's have, let's like, I just don't connect with people like that. Yeah. So I, you know, I didn't even recognize cause I did all these spiritual bypass practices that I'd learned in yoga and all this stuff. And I'd shut off the real feeling that was underneath. I had no idea how depressed I was till I rolled up to the beach and it just unloaded, man. You're just a fucking 37 year old loser. You can't get your shit together. You're never going to be loved. Fucking, ugh. just, I was bawling, snot rolling out of my nose, man. It was hilarious. And uh, a friend of mine called me. Um, she was my first coaching client. She calls me right when I'm calming back down and she's like dude what's going on happy birthday and i'm like it's so funny that you call and i tell her what's going on and she goes you know what you need to listen to my life coach she goes how would we be able to get you to hire yourself and i was like what hmm. and she goes tim you know hmm. you you know how to live man why can't you hire yourself and i was like you know what i can so i developed this little i'm gonna hire myself process and um then I started talking to her on a weekly basis and I got to this point where I was like, you know what? Let's, let's build this avatar of the perfect woman for me. And if I don't find her, I'll be the happiest single guy on the planet. Either way is cool with me. So we did that. And I just kind of, I put a video out there of what I call it the no matter what dream board. And I created my dream board and I put this picture of a hot chick in a paddle board because I <laughs> want my whole life about paddle boarding and surfing, man. And the idea is this, if I'm a single guy um, and I just don't want to be in relationships, I can be honest and still get laid. Like I can still have sex and, and have relationships and intimacy and all of that stuff. And if I find the one or one that can fit the bill that, that won't, that'll bring out the best in me and not trigger the worst in me, mm -hmm. I'll know. And mm -hmm. I'll stop what I'm doing and I'll be, I'll, I'll pay attention. And uh, to be honest with you, if I would have known that the woman that I ended up marrying was her at that time, I probably wouldn't have went on the first date because I still didn't have, I, up until maybe a year ago, I, I still didn't have the self-esteem to understand why this woman would pick me. She's mm -hmm. way out of my league. Mm. And my wife is fucking awesome. I'm so glad that guys are such douchebags. <laughs> I'm so glad that rich men out there are so egotistical and just don't understand what women want. I'm just happy about that because my wife could do a hell of a lot better than me. But I learned from our relationship is I don't get to decide that she does. Mm. What her standards are is I'm the guy for her. And so I just need to be me. You know, that's been a hard challenge for me. Yeah, well, <clears throat> it's, it's always it's hard to see yourself and it's hard to see the things that come naturally to you. You tend to devalue because they're easy. And the things I can't, the things that don't come naturally to me, those are what I hold myself accountable to. And then I feel like it's like the uh, monkey that, or the, the fish that can't climb a tree that's, that starts to feel bad about himself because he's not yes. a monkey. 
Yes. You know, that's, that's where I was for the last five years. And luckily my dad, uh, I had to go sit with him at the end of his life. And I was just, I just, it broke me. And when I say broke me, I don't mean it like everybody else does. I'm glad it broke me. I never want to heal from that. I never want to get back into the delusion of having to be something to prove myself to anybody. Dude, that's so powerful. I, w- one of the things I'd really admire about your story in previous conversation, but also in this one, how <clears throat> you get to that point of like, you know, you're talking about getting to the beach and just breaking down or, or being with your dad and, and breaking. And it's like, we spend so much energy trying to avoid that, but that's where the real healing is. Like that's where the real freedom is. Um, what, Vulnerability is everybody's afraid of a space called vulnerability and vulnerability is the strongest place you can, no one can hurt me. Like I can't be hurt because I live with the threat of death every single day and I live and make my decisions based on that. So I try to carve out the time, the moment we only get brief moments with the people in our lives. Like you, you share custody with kids, right? Right. You only get a certain amount of moments with them and you don't know that they're coming back. Mm -hmm. You hope they do. And we always live like we know they are, but we Mm -hmm. don't know that. Mm -hmm. So like this moment, like I cleared off the rest of the day, nothing's more important than this. I clear out, I do stuff like this all the time with my next door neighbors. They, they think I'm freaking crazy. Like I was late for work. I called in late while, cause they're, they're too old to be doing yard work and they were trying to do it. And I'm like, Oh, not on my watch. You're my neighbor. I'll take care of you. Yeah. They're like, who does that? And I'm like, I think everyone should. This I was just going to say, what if everyone else is the crazy one? They, and that's where I'm at with it is that I, I struggled because there are certain people that are so much smarter than me that when I say that I do stuff like this, they're like, why? And I'm like, why, why aren't you? Yeah. I, I was driving one day and I canceled two meetings and one of them would have changed everything for me. And I never got that meeting back with the guy but it was a rainstorm and there was a guy that was dressed pretty well, black kid dressed pretty well, riding a bicycle in one of the worst Texas rainstorms I'd seen. And I was like, eh, I pulled over and I said, Hey man, I'm going to have to skip our meeting. There's a guy that needs my help right now. And I pulled around and I said, Hey man, get in my truck. He was, he was like, what, what? I was like, dude, I'm not trying to rob you, man. Yeah, what's I'm the, what's to, the angle? But there is no angle, man. Yeah. We're on this planet together. And um, I just thought it was a good opportunity for me to break some of the racism that's in me and me to live like the person I want to be. I'd mowed my neighbor's lawn. I never met the person. He's disappeared for three months. The next door neighbors are concerned and she's very particular with her lawn. So the house next to her that looks like crap. I could tell it was driving her crazy. And she kind of mentioned, I wish I had my lawnmower, but John won't let me mow the lawn anymore because it wears me out for three days. Mm. So the next day, John comes out and he's like, what are you doing? (laughs) And I said, Judy wanted the lawn mowed, John, so I'm mowing the lawn. He said, it's 100 degrees out here, you crazy. I said, don't worry about me. I got it. Don't worry. So, And I had to mow that thing three times because it had been so overgrown. Wow. They were just like, why did you do that? And I said, because I have a definition of what a good neighbor is. And since nobody else is going to be that, I'll be that for them. Yeah. It's fun. He was right, man. We can be the change we wish to see in the world. hundred percent. What, if you don't mind me asking, um, like you mentioned your father and sort of the last moments with him that really broke you. What, what was it 
where did you go mentally, emotionally with your relationship with him? And how did that, you, you talked about how that, how you don't regret it. By the time we got there to the end, we'd already, we'd already fixed it. Um, I helped him overcome depression cause I knew how to coach people. So he didn't know I was coaching him while he lived with me, but I was coaching him. Yeah. He read my books and then we discussed them over beers at the fire, non-alcoholic ones for me. And uh, he, he every now and then would want to talk about certain things, you know, but I find that anybody, including myself, we all make up our own version of reality in the past. And when two people come together that had friction in the past, trying to talk about it in any meaningful way tends to blow everything up. So every time he tried to talk about it, I'd say, dad, stop. You see the man in front of you today? And he said, yeah. And I said, I wouldn't be that man if that didn't happen to me. Mm. It didn't happen to me. It happens for me. Mm. The only way I can move forward is I don't need to sort that out. I don't care about that past because here's what I know. I know in your heart, you were doing the best you could at the time. I know in my heart, I've always done that, but there's certain things that kind of take over up here. And then I have certain really bad reactions to my own feelings of inadequacy. And I've seen that for myself. So I assume that that's what you were doing too. I don't hold you accountable to those because I'm an addict. I know this. An addiction is an addiction is an addiction. And if you have an impulsive behavior problem, you're not in control of that. You're just not. And if you have a, if you need to know more about that, read the book, Power of Habits. Mm. It's just certain brain centers take over control of your brain. They're only working optimally a small fraction of the time. And 40 to 60% of your day, you're completely on autopilot. You're, mm. you're a robot to the impulses inside. If you don't go in deep enough, you'll never be able to be the person you've wanted to be. So since I know that about myself, I, I can, I don't have to forgive because what I see and what I'm hurt by my dad were behaviors that if he would have known certain practices, he could have modified and been a different human, mm-hmm. but he didn't. So I'm not going to hold him accountable to something that's bio ingrained in our system. I, I'm not going to, to, to play the victim card in that. Now I'm not saying he didn't victimize me and I'm not saying that if you've been victimized that that everything is forgivable because there are just some atrocities that aren't forgivable. Mm -hmm. But even so there, even like, just look at the, 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 the psychology of psychopaths and people that get thrown into jail. It's the same thing. It's an internal driver that makes you react a certain way. Most of the time people aren't consciously aware of it and they need to feel something and something happens in their brain that just snaps a wiring system and hurting other people feels good to them and shame feels good to them. You know, it, <clears throat> do you think that some of that comes from one's own childhood trauma? I, I, I think it's absolutely steeped in childhood trauma. Well, not absolutely. I think that, I think that everybody has their own journey and I, 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 I see from interviews and stuff like that with other people that, uh, the childhood trauma does have an, a, a pretty deep impact on people. And um, when you don't have the model of success, uh, then, it, you know, a, a friend of mine who's, who's a, a drunk hillbilly philosopher, 
he's, he's just an amazing guy. Smart as hell, but just underachiever all the way through. I love him to death. Best friend in high school. Uh, he says it like this. Most people are either overcoddled or under. And they build their lives based on these two moments. So mm-hmm. overcoddled either becomes a self-entitled, lazy brat, or goes the exact opposite of whatever his parents are. So if they were actually good people that overcoddled him and made good money, then this person's going to be a dope head loser. Yeah. There's, you're either going to emulate your parents' behavior or you're going to try to be the exact opposite of them. Yeah. But you can never escape the ingrained behaviors that you picked up from them. So you always end up being your mother's son, your father's son. Mm-hmm. And every time that you're just like them, that's what you're pissed off about. basically. Right. So, that's been true for me. I don't know if it's true for everybody else. Cause I'm, I'm a bartender psychologist. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, as, as I don't have any PhDs or anything like that, but I, I, there's a lot of wisdom coming from the drunk hillbilly philosopher. I think there's, I think there's a, <laughs> there's some uh, significance to, yeah. to that background. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you you drop these things that I'm like oh I want to dive into that and the next thing I know you're on to the next fifteen uh, times that that's but, my biggest problem no it, I don't know that that's a problem so weird I, I think it creates uh, interest for sure one of the things that you mentioned though was you created an avatar for the perfect woman while you were yeah. going through that you were getting coached yeah. um, <clears throat> what was that avatar like what did you what did you write out so and first how did that how did what impact did that have in your experience? So here's how I do it every time. And I did, I just did this recently. Uh, I, I, I did it, uh, in April. Um, so what I would, I actually lean into the pain. Like I'll bring it back up. It's pretty, as you can see, when I tell the story, I'm feeling it and the story's coming through me. I'm not just telling the story cause I'll start crying and bawling my eyes out because I get myself in that moment mm-hmm. to feel it. So, Lean into the pain. I call this Groundhog Day. Like the movie Groundhog Day. You, you've seen it? Yep. I, I'll tell you a funny story about Groundhog Day sometime if you want. But um, so pretend that because everybody's anticipating, we're all trying to escape our lives. We want to be in this next moment, this next level, this next everything. And what happens is the further we, harder we push, the more barriers come up internally. And then we get to a certain point. And then we veer off into a different direction. And then we're like, why can't I get there? You know? So what I do is uh, instead of being an optimist, I I call it applied pessimism. And what I did at that, at that time was go, okay, what if that's true? What if you are a 37 year old loser and that you just are so fucking deeply flawed that no woman would ever be able to be in a healthy relationship with you because you're so insecure that once you get to a certain point, you will blow up the relationship, you will do something stupid, or your insecurities will trigger her to cheat on you again. Like, So I took every girl, that every situation, and I looked at it, and I built these kind of Okay, so this was a red flag. This was a red flag. I built all of these red flags that say if they show up in your life and immediately you feel this, <laughs> that's your dick talking. That's not us. Yeah. Like, do not follow your penis because your penis is stupid. 
it, it, it gets you into really bad, good situations. Don't get me wrong. It, that's <laughs> really bad, good situations. Really bad, good situations. I mean, that's, I've had a lot of really bad, good situations, but <laughs> so I just built that avatar of what the, per, what the non-perfect woman looked like. Cause I knew what crazy, I knew what crazy felt like. I know what it feels like. Cause I'm so attracted to it. It's, it's, it's a sickness. Um, so I knew that. And then I, I talked to my friend and, and we were talking on the phone and she said, Tim, every time someone tells me, Dee, Dee I just love the way that you show up in the world. How do you, and you're like, I, I tell him, I started working with this life coach in 2006 and, and he taught me some things and taught me some ways to tune into nature around me and realize that love is here and it just comes through me mm-hmm. and it helps me be the person I am today. She said, every time I tell this, every girl I know in Los Angeles wants me to hook you up. I don't even tell them your name because I'm afraid they'll find you on Facebook. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing, man? I haven't been late in three years. Hook a brother up. Yeah, let's. Yeah. And she, said, and she said, no. And I said, why? And she said, because I absolutely know what type of woman would bring out the best in you and allow you to shine in this world and i will not let any other woman get in your way of that hmm. and i was like okay so tell me that <laughs> like yeah. i lean in on that one yeah and uh and i was like wait hold on a second i've met some of your friends and they are perfect for me and she was like no they're not tim and she said i don't think you see it the way i see it let me let you borrow my eyes so she told me 25 qualities in myself that she sees as a friend that's shown up I was a bartender. She was a waitress and she has to be a coaching client. And uh, we have never lost touch since then. We have shared the deepest, darkest corners of our souls together and uh, connected in a way that I don't know that too many men and women have been able to without any kind of sexual attention. Like we just don't have that between us. And so I didn't see any of it. I was like, what? I'm not that guy. And she goes, are you kidding me? Like when shit hits the fan, you're the guy I call because of that. <clears throat> so I started to look at that. And then a couple of weeks later, I was like, so, okay. So now that, now that I'm starting to see that, what, and I know what I can't be in, like, I just don't understand what, so it took us six weeks uh, back and forth, hour, hour and a half conversations to kind of develop this idea. Like we looked at my bad habits first. Imagine I can't change. Imagine if certain things happen in my life, I will always react this way. Well, if that's the case, what would she have to be thinking in order to not take that shit personally and just give me the space to figure it out? Mm-hmm. Because if you give me two to three minutes after I've blown up and done something stupid, I am self-aware enough and I hold myself accountable enough that I come back and go, oh my God. What? Okay, so I was working on this and I can explain exactly why I did it and apologize and try to move forward. So we needed somebody that didn't take so much shit personally, that didn't have to play the games, that, that was secure enough in themselves that they could give me the space I need because I need space. I'm a writer, creator. I need the mornings to myself. Don't get up and try to talk to me. I, I need this space to tune in because there's so much noise here. And then I'm addicted to social media and there's so much noise there that I can get, I can get trapped and not, you might not see me for three days because I'm trying to figure something out. Yeah. You know? Um, so we looked at relationship issues that I'd had in the past and thought, well, what would the opposite of that be? 
because I know what I know what it looks like normally. So I just define the opposite of what I've always seen. It's the now, uh, the the Costanza episode on Seinfeld, if you remember yeah, that back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, George. If, if everything you did ended in disaster. Wouldn't the opposite be the perfect solution? <laughs> so so we did that. And then, and then I got to a point after doing this, I realized that there, there was this correlation. So let's say that I take her out of the picture and I do this now still. And she hates that I even say this because she doesn't quite get, I don't know how to explain it in a way that doesn't trigger her to be like, I can't believe you playing your whole life without me in it. And I'm like, but babe, I don't get to control whether or not you're in it. You do first. You get to decide every single day whether or not I'm that guy for you. Mm-hmm. And second of all, there's a lot of stupid fucks out here on their cell phones while they're driving. And that's how my nephew died. Mm-hmm. So I can't guarantee you're going to be here. But what I need to know is where I'm going to be in if I'm here in 2030. And whether you're here in the picture or not is irrelevant because I want to build this future. I want this as my future and I want this for the world. So I want you to be there. And if you're alive, you're there, obviously, because we will work on whatever we have to work on because you're my girl. You're my ride or die. You're my partner. Like you, you, you found me when I was struggling and I found myself. And now, you, now I see something in you that you can't see. So come with me. I want to show you this stuff. That, that is simultaneously everything a woman doesn't want to hear and does want to hear all at the same time. That's I'm a walking dichotomy, man. But but there's something there's a huge takeaway there I think for most men because I think a lot of men in our culture today uh not all of them but a lot of them try to mold themselves into their partner's worldview. Yeah. As opposed to what you just said which was I'm planting my flag and I'm fucking going there Come out of my water. This is my vision, and I'm going. Mm -hmm. And you even said that you're irrelevant to that, which is I I know every woman like like she doesn't want to think about if a woman said that to you. I mean, if she said that to me, I'd be like, "What do you mean I'm irrelevant?" Of course, of course, right? That's not what I mean by that. She gets it. She's not getting it quite yet. I told her she needs to do that too. She needs to build her vision without me in it. It's a very mature. Uh, approach to it, but also at the same time, like you're also saying, you're you, there's a real uh, a, a reality to that, right? And a reality to the yeah, you could get hit by a bus, you never know, whatever. So this is my vision as an independent person. But you also then also say, but I want you with me. Like I'm going on this journey, and I want you to be a partner in the on the ride, um, which is I think the other side of what a woman wants is she wants a woman to. I mean, she wants a man to have a vision to create, to do something you also said too, which is very meaningful to me, which is like, how's this going to improve the world? What are you doing? What is your vision? And how is that, how is that purpose uh, creating a better tomorrow for the world? And a woman wants to be a part of that in my, in my estimation. I don't know why anyone would want to be a part of that. This is a weird thing. Anytime I talk about it, uh, I'm, I'm trying to build a better tomorrow for my family first for my extended family, for my neighbors, for my neighborhood, for the whole fucking world. Because technology can actually change a lot of the inefficiencies we grew up with, and it has already, and we can move that forward. So what I don't understand is why so many people are fighting for the way things are. The way things are, 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 are good, better than any time in the history of mankind, but they're not good for everybody. 
Yeah. And why are we fighting for us against them? And well, we've got it. So I don't, I just don't get that. There's uh, have you read the book? Good to great. No, but uh, is that Cal Newport? Uh, Jim Collins, Jim Collins, Jim Collins. I always get those two guys mixed up. I don't know why. He mentions a really great model in the book. Cause they real quick overview. They studied tons of businesses and looked at which ones uh, achieved greatness and then had sustained greatness. And they started to reverse engineer it. Like what was it about those different companies that created that sustained greatness? Was it a charismatic leader? Was it, you know, a unique market opportunity? Was it this, that, whatever. And through process of elimination, they basically whittled it down to a handful of things. And one of the takeaways in the book is, this idea uh, that he calls preserving the core, stimulating progress, preserving the core. And I think this is where a lot of what Wait, you were just saying. Again. What'd you just say? Stimulating progress. Stimulating progress, preserving the core. Holy and shit. I got to get this book. It's yeah, really, weird. it's good. It's really good. It was a life-changing book for me. It's a business book, but it's, it's much bigger than that. Um, so, and, they, and the idea being that you have core values, core principles that you live your life through, but, but on the surface, those things, like, like you just said, technology is going to change. The environment's changing. We are, the only thing that stays the same is that things always change. So how do you adapt to a new world? And you see this in, I was just talking with a friend yesterday about it, like in religion, in our particular uh, religion they're trying to preserve the core without stimulating progress. There's no change. And so they, st- they st- get, you know, they, and that was written during the bronze age, man. Right. <laughs> Those principles though apply. I don't know what your religion is, but I've studied a few. <laughs> I have a shelf full of it. Um, <laughs> the principles are there, man. And it's basic. It's, it's, it's love yourself, love your neighbor, get up, do good work. If you're alive tomorrow, do it again. That's it. <laughs> right. like, how hard right. is it? Right. We make it so difficult. Like we've got yeah. to, like we're so important. We got to do all this stuff, and then we just tax our system, and then we get into monkey behavior, and we and we run around going. Yeah, we really do. But that that I find is often a a argument that I see people having, where somebody's saying, "No, no, no. T- times are different. You got to leave the old." you know, you got to leave that in past, no. but there's an argument to be made for. No, 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 no. There are certain principles that got us here in the first place. Let's not leave those. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, if we only operated that we did the same way that we did 50 years ago, mm-hmm. of course, we're not going to be able to adapt to our current environment. It's so it's, we've changed so much in the last five years, let alone the last 50 years. How do and you it's not getting, adapt? It's going to gonna get faster too. Uh, I don't know if I talked about Ray Kurzweil the other day and have you read the, uh, Peter Diamandis' book, Abundance. Abundance, yeah. I've actually uh, talked with him a little bit. He's, really? Yeah, so he's, that's my next move. Once I, once I um, get to a certain point in my finances, I'm getting in his, his, his online mastermind. Um, I, want to be, I, want to, I want to be in the conversation with the people doing the prizes because I think that I can help somehow. I don't know why, but I want to help – I want to help bring these futures together. And that's kind of my mission in life is to get as much because have you seen visioneer his, the way that opens up, he basically says this, he says, I don't see any problem that can't be solved with enough people, capital, 
and resources. If you get them together and you try to solve a problem, it's solvable. We've, so, we've done it since the beginning. Mm-hmm. A wheel, flight, uh, man on the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that now they're now they're. I mean, they're the reusable spacecrafts, uh, solar technology. We, clean drinking water. Clean drinking water. Yeah. Um, getting there anyway. And then with the book abundance, the idea being that instead of trickle down, boosting up. Mm-hmm. So me, I've always had a problem with the whole system because I'm a bleeding heart, man. I, I obvious. I mean, look at me. I got Buddhist beads on and I, I'm listening to a water fountain and I've got uh, good night's sleep that I spray on my face so that I can smell. And then I'm just, <laughs> so I, I've had this issue with the left versus right debate because I'm socially the most liberal person you've ever met. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to government policies, I'm fiscally one of the most conservative people. Like my friends who box, who know that I used to work in a gay bar, that I have no issues with stuff like that. They get really, really triggered and offended when I'm like, whoa, 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 government programs. What the fuck are you thinking? No, that's our job. Because there's two golden rules, the golden rule that you know, and then the golden rule that actually exists, which is the guy with the gold gets to make the rules. Right. And the guy with the gold is an asshole. Yeah. So I want you, because I, I see it in your eyes, you're a good man. Yeah. I want you to find your mission. I, I, I know a guy that's a programmer that wants to replant the planet. He says that 500 trees per American need to be planted in the next 10 years, or we're basically going to kill ourselves. Hmm. So... I helped him connect that mission with programming and down the road, I even told him, I said, look, he was like, what do I owe you for this conversation? I said, nothing. I'll call in a favor later. And then he said, what? And I said, I'm going to need programmers. <laughs> and I said, and you're going to help me. Yeah. And he was like, Oh no, I'm going to help you. So I'm just trying to build an army to burn it all to the ground. Yeah. All of it. Healthcare. Healthcare is my mission. I want to destroy healthcare in America. I think it's a psychotic system. I think that uh, I think that the way that we make profit off of healthcare is basically profiting profiting off of human misery. What mm-hmm. I saw for forty seven days is that they're that they're understaffed, undertrained, and undertrained in emotional intelligence. So I want to make enough money to buy the company that owns all of the facilities that are under the umbrella that the facility that that that. I had my dad in. I stayed in it for 47 days. Hmm. I came in one day. He was in a diaper. No one told me that they'd put him in a diaper. No one told me that this was happening. I sat with him for 10 hours watching um, American Pickers. And then I looked over and I said, huh, the other day I put that shirt on him. Let me look at my calendar. That was three days ago. So I walk over and the shirt's just covered in like food and stuff like that. And I'm thinking... He needs clean. So I lift him up and he has shit covered from his chest all the way down to his knees. Oh, jeez! It was dried because it had been on there for so long and he had no clue that he'd been shitting and wallowing in it. Mm. And I sat in that chair for at least 10 hours and not one person came in to check him. Not yeah. one single person because I was there and not one person let me know he was in a diaper and that needed checked. Mm. So I, I lost my shit a little bit there as he lost his and I had them hose him down and I tried to gain my composure and it took me two weeks to go to the administrator because she's a personal friend of mine 
And then when I finally did, I, I voiced all of my concerns of what I'd seen. And I did it in a way that wasn't saying you're a piece of shit, even though I wanted to, because I read a good book, The Psychopath's Guide to Success. The Good Psychopath's Guide to Success. And it helped me try to tone down my emotional reaction and, and think logically for once. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I just couldn't end up in jail. I had to be there. So nothing changed. Nothing. For the next three weeks, nothing changed. And then when Medicare... Uh, when Medicare ran out, way to put my dad in a, in a county home. Somebody that knows as much as I do about marketing, business, and sales, about restaurants, I had a mentor teach me how to buy and sell restaurants in 2008 and never did it. He was going to buy a restaurant and then, then the funding dried up and uh, then the abortion and then I just was like, I'm going to be a writer now instead of owning restaurants. I don't. And uh, it was, it was a hard thing to do to realize that the only way we could pot, because we didn't know if he was going to live at that time. And they, the doctors there were saying, look, he's going he's gonna to pull through. And the cancer doctor, he's going to pull through. We had to put him in a county home. And that's where poor people go to die and get ignored. And uh, we got in there and immediately they were like, why is he not in hospice? What the fuck is wrong with you? And I said, I've been arguing with them for three weeks to put four weeks to put him in hospice. Since I got here, I'm like, why is he not in hospice? And they're telling me he's going to survive. And they're like, the quality of life for him to survive is crap. He hmm. let the man die with dignity. He was a steel worker his whole life. He was, he, he was a proud man. He, if he comes out of this and his brain comes back online and he sees himself like this, how's he going to feel about that, Tim? Hmm. I was like, it's what I've been saying the whole time. And they were like, you're his power of attorney. You're the one that gets to make that call, not them. Hmm. I said, they told me I couldn't make that call. Basically, what happened was there's a communication gap in, the, in healthcare. So he's at a facility, a, a healthcare facility, a, a nursing home. Every time his blood count goes low, we get him to the emergency room. The emergency room doctor, who's a different doctor every time, prescribes him something based on his condition and sends him back to the nursing home. Not one person talks to his oncologist. So the last visit we have with the oncologist who she opens up his file and I could tell this was the first time she'd read his file. I'd been there a month and a half. This like, she's reading through it. Like not, she didn't even come to this meeting prepared and I'm just sitting there going, all right, don't, don't say it. Don't, don't react. Do not throw that. Do not No, You cannot stab her in the face right now. This would not, that would not be good for you or anyone else involved. Just sit here and eat it, eat it. And I'm eating it and I'm eating it. And she looks at me and she goes, why the hell is he on this, this, and this? And I looked at her and I said, hi, son, doctor, why the fuck are you asking me that right now? Like, why do you not know that? And I said, you know what? This meeting's over. We're done. You guys obviously don't know what the fuck's going on with him. You're just grasping at straws. And what you just said to her was that she should have never gotten his last dose of radiation. Never should a man in his condition have gotten that last dose of radiation. He would have survived without it. And he might have survived that stupidity had they not put him on these medications. Mm. You guys killed him. You guys destroyed him. And it's my fault for not coming home earlier and making sure that everything was taken care of because he just doesn't understand stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And he's too proud to ask. He's too proud to ask for help. He's too proud to accept it. And it's my fault for dropping the ball on that. So I'm just going to eat this and we're going to call it a day. So that took a minute to process. 
So I'd press pause all year long and just, I listened to his last words was do whatever you got to do to get through this, but don't lose that woman. Do not because Tim, you're built like me and you're going to rage and that rage is going to come out of you. And he said, you've got to learn how to control it. You got to learn how to redirect it into a passion. And he said, and then you got to promise me that you're going to write another book Mm. and you got to promise me whatever you do to fix this in you, you write about it and share it with other people. Mm. And I fucking said, yeah, I wish I would have never said that promise, but now we're here. And, uh, I'm not going to break a promise to a guy that was dying and I don't care if he was delusional at the moment or not. I'm going to try to change the world. It doesn't sound delusional. Why, why do you regret making that promise? Because I love some people that are going to get their feelings hurt. And I love some people that, you know, there's a, I don't know if you're Christian or not, but a friend of mine always talks about the sword and I'm not Christian, but I understand it from a completely different context. Because who I have to be to do the things I want to do, there are certain people that just will not, will not budge their bubble. And I'm either going to burst their bubble and hurt them, or they're going, I'm going to become the, the, the enemy in their story. Mm-hmm. Every, every good story needs an enemy. Every good story needs a villain. And I'm about to become the villain to some people that I deeply care about and love but they're going to hear it from their perspective of what I'm saying. And they're going to think that I'm attacking them personally. I'm attacking the worldview because I kind of am Mm -hmm. their worldview is shit. And if they don't think it's shit, then I don't know if they don't want to look in the mirror, not my problem. Go away. Because anybody that's not willing to look deeply into the mirror talking to me is not going to like what I have to say to them Mm -hmm. because that's just what I do. I listen to people and I say, Oh, okay, well, this is what I heard. This is what you're not paying attention to. And if you don't like that, then keep doing what you're doing. But if you want to change, here's what you got to look at. Here's how you adjust your system. And here's how that'll work. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be easy. It's, you have to go to war with the person you think you are. You have to kill that part of you. Yes. You have to destroy yourself it, it every day. It, psychologically, emotionally, it feels like a death. Every day. Yeah. You have to become unlike yourself, which is, and it comes out and it like every, at least once a week, it comes out in this weirdest ways for me that the, the old me kind of pulls me back in this identity. I'm, I'm only this. I can't, I can't do this. This is too systematic for me. This is too this, this is too that. And I, and, and, and I have to smack <coughs> it down. Bless you. Thank you. I have to, um, Excuse me. And, and it's a, it's an ongoing war. I think Stephen Pressfield writes about that pretty well in the, in the war of art. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's an ongoing battle. And, yeah. and um, there's a, there's a book that again, four things that Andre chaperone in his latest courses was worth the price of admission alone. Wink and grow rich. Such a good parable. I started um, to listen to that by the way, the uh, fighting Hydra, uh, another parable about the internal demons and how that is just always going to happen. Like you are always going to have to fashion a new sword and find a new way to kill this new demon because it's an onion. It's the layering process. And if you want to get from here to there, you have to do it in stages. So I follow an exponential stages of life. Uh, 30 exponential stages will give you a, a, over a billion. If you, if you take a dollar and double it and you do that 30 times, once you get to a certain point, if you try to double, double, 
you can get to a billion in 30 doubles. And if you take 10 years, a 10 year vision, 2030, um, and you break it down to quarters of your life seasons, um, it's 12 weeks. I, I live like I'm dying 12 weeks. What would be the most important thing for me to do in the next 12 weeks? So the last that's, 12. That, that's a huge, powerful takeaway right there. Yeah. Yeah. The wow. last 12 weeks was to inspire my wife to take control of her life. I convinced her sneakily. I used every, I sold her every, I was a used fucking car salesman in here selling her on the idea that she spends 40 hours a week at work. She should demand that everything around her is as good as what she demands of me at home. And if it's not, then she should start her own business. And I convinced her to start her own business. And then I convinced her to walk out of an $80,000 a year job when she has four customers. She needs a hundred customers a month to come through the doors to make what she was making at a job and I convinced her that she could do it on her own. And she is like, I guarantee you uh, in the next 12 weeks, she's making easily eight to $10,000 a month because she's one of the best nurses. uh, One of the best Botox injectors in the country. She does lip fillers so perfectly. She is just an artist when it comes to what she does. And she's the one, she's just like, I never wanted to be married. Even when I first met her, I was like, look, I'm never going to get married. And then once I was with her long enough, I was like, oh, oh, that's why I get married. Because there's no way that I spend the rest of my life calling her my girlfriend. Mm. And I think anyone that meets her that has any sense to themselves, uh, when they meet her, they're going to want her in their life. as, what, a, as their What nurse. was it about her that, or what was it that when you started, when you were like, oh, shit, like, this is my forever girl. Uh, it was, um, she, after about a year of our, our relationship, I fell apart again. Cause I moved from a job where I was making three days a week, making 1200 bucks a, a, a night. We're living in a place that I spent 1200 bucks or $250. I rented this trailer, 250 bucks. Um, and I went down to Smith mountain Lake, Virginia to live with her. And the job that I had lined up fell through and there were no jobs around there for me to drive to where the jobs were. Basically, it would cost, so I had a Jeep Cherokee, it, it would cost me $50 in gas, and I'd have to fill up twice a week to go 10 bar. So if you did the math, it, I would basically be almost breaking even. So she was like, why drive if you're not going to actually make the money, just hang out, right? So I started writing and stuff and doing that stuff, made a little bit of money here and there, but couldn't really pull the ends together. And then my manhood got questioned in my brain. And I started acting like a douche and she, and I made a deal with her when we first met. This is the guy I want to be. This is the guy you meet. Now there's a fluctuation zone, obviously, if you're if, whatever you find acceptable, but if I'm not that guy, tell me to bounce cause life is too short. Don't put up with shit and I'll do the same for you. If we get to a point in our relationship and uh, we want to explore other people, but we want to be partners, let's have an adult conversation about that. I can tell you right now, I'm not going to be into it but I don't know what I, who I'll be in 10 years. So let's have that conversation. Just don't cheat on me. Support me to be the man I want to be. Here's the vision of the man I want to be. And if, and if I'm not being that guy, then stop me and say, hey, did you change your vision without telling me? And that will trigger the, oh, wait, I'm acting like a douchebag. Mm-hmm. Or I say, oh, yeah, I did change my vision without telling you. And here's my new vision. Am I being consistent with that? And if I'm not, let me know. And then I know what to work on. So she never tells me what to work on based on what she wants. 
what she's trying to get out of me. She always, it's, hey, do you know that that's inconsistent with who you want to be? Wow. That's a, that's a really powerful uh, relationship tool to A, yeah. first get very clear with who you want to be in the world and then invite your partner to hold you accountable to that. And, and we do the same. So what we do is I hold the space and hold the vision for her and we give each other the space, the wiggle room, because we're never going to be perfect. No right. one. Uh, there's always going to be that pain of growth and stuff. But every now and then, uh, like the other night, she was she just looked at me and she said, do you even want to be with me anymore? I said, absolutely. But if you don't want to change, then no. <laughs> and she was like, what? And I said, the, the, the relationship pattern we have is based on a guy that's no longer alive. And you keep wanting to do certain things. And I was like, you just don't get it. So instead of talking about it, come over here and I want to show you something. And I just had her lay with me, started crying a little bit. And we cried a little bit together out on the patio. And then she turned around, got up, went and took a shower. And she came back and gave me a big passionate kiss. And she goes, that was so much pow more powerful than you trying to explain shit to me. I think I get what you've been trying to say for the last six months. What, what, was, what was it that you did? Just be with her? I just was laying with her and letting her feel what it feels like because I want intimacy and that's what we all want. Mm -hmm. um, but I've learned some things and I want to teach her so much. And, blah, and so I end up fucking talking her ear off and she shuts down. And then I read that she's not interested in what I have to say anymore. Right. I don't feel heard. I don't feel listened to. I don't feel supported. So then I'm like, I'm oh, shut down. You know what I mean? And reality is I just, just haven't trained her or haven't explained to her what my language of love is. Mine is touch. So when she's telling me I love you 50 times a day, after a while, it sounds annoying to me. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. You know, and now she's pissed off because I'm not accepting her love. And I'm like, right. hey, let me show you something. And I just put her hand on my chest. And I was just like, and then I put mine on hers. And she was like, I said, feel that? And she said, yeah, I do. And I said, okay, so that's a lot more powerful to me than love. I love you. Like, I love hearing it sometimes but when you come home and sit next to me and don't touch me you can if there's a more than a 10 or 20 minute window where you're just talking and talking and talking and then you say i love you 15 times after that i don't give a shit what you're talking about anymore mm -hmm. but if you come home and vent to me and then come over close to me and just put your hand next to me on my leg on my shoulder and just kind of rub my head then i hear you say i love you before the words even come out so that's what I was showing her the other day is that you can say stuff to people without saying stuff. And we do all the time. And what she was hearing me say is she's not good enough because that's what I was saying. Mm -hmm. You can't live with somebody and think one thing and then, and then have them imagine that they're going to feel something else. And the weird thing that we do is that like, if you're busy and you got a business and I, this is the one thing that has gotten me the coaching clients that I have right now is that, I get these type A personality people who are so much better at implementation than I am. And I I'm talking to them. And what I hear them say is basically, yeah, I built my dream life and I fucking hate it. It's a burden. Right. Right. I'm putting out fires every day because no one can act the way that I need them to act so that I can feel comfortable enough to trust them. So they're saying I don't trust my employees. And then they're micromanaging this small shit that doesn't matter and not growing the business that does. 
Yep. And then they can't shut that off, and then they come home, and now I got to put on Superman cape, and be, and these fuck faces at home are just blah blah blah. And I'm like, did you just call your kids a fuck face? Like, what? Did, okay, all right. So your family's a burden, and your businesses catch your businesses on fire, and you have to put it out every day. Well, I can see why your life sucks. Yeah. Because you've got your head completely up your ass. Yeah. It's not them. It's you. Yeah. It's because you're not focused on the most important things. And so then I just show them that we have cycles, emotional cycles that go throughout the day, like ebbs and flows of tides. This is going on inside of us. Seasons happen. That's why I do the 12 weeks. And you can superimpose those same principles in the macro, meso, and micro level of your life and then just build a little system that is yours but yours and mine are different because you and i are different and we all and it changes it's an ebb and flow there's a signal inside of you that says okay this is the most important thing now and that's all you focus on and then you get to that point Peter Drucker in his book says that the most effective leaders do one thing that no other people do everybody can come up with a 12 step plan, right? What effective leaders do is focus on step one. And then when they get to step two, they stop and say, okay, now we've got step two through 12 is step two, step two, because what you learned to get through to step one might make you realize that step two is leading you in a different direction. That's the long Mm -hmm. way. And now you have to make the new plan. So now step one becomes step one and you're only, only always focused on the most important step, which is step one every step of the way, every progress, every transition and every level, just like when you work out, when you hit the plateau, you stop and find a new strategy and move and move and move. And if you do, there's always only step one, there's always only step one, but we are trying to do step three. And most programs that we buy that don't work are because they're selling us the dream. They're selling us this magic button and they're, and they believe in their hearts. I hope, I don't know. I think some of them are scumbags, but most of them believe in their hearts that this is this is the answer to all of your problems. That's why they're selling it like that. Right. But what they don't realize is that they're selling me step seven and I'm at levels minus four. Yeah. So I need to pause and get to here to understand this, to get to there. And their marketing should be getting us to step seven. Yeah. But they skip gap. Well, and a lot of them, a lot of them, don't it's it it's step seven but it's also step seven for them and like a lot of people don't have the self-awareness to realize that not everybody does everything the exact same way that they bring different skill sets gifts uh weaknesses experience beliefs values all of that shit's being brought to the table it's like how do you it takes a lot of love and a lot of work to genuinely provide a framework that can serve a lot of people Oh, that just you just blew my mind up right now. Hold on a second. Let me just let this sink in so I don't forget all of this. Oh, I'm so glad I had this conversation. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. What's that? Well, I mean, I'm if if you look at my friends list, I'm actually connected with and I have conversations with like people like yourself. And what I realized is that I'm I, what I'm trying to do with Soul Surfer School is is I, my favorite books were when I was a kid was choose your own adventure. And I, I believe that life is a choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying, what I'm going to do from here out is that I've got yoga teachers. I've got 
I've got spiritual meditation teachers and all kinds of stuff. I've got world-class marketers, uh, like people that know how to sell some stuff. I've got, there's so many different levels of education that different people need that I can bring them in the conversation and get them talking and I know where they are and say, oh, okay, go talk to that guy and come back. Go talk to that guy and come back. You know what I mean? And then make it a, like a, like a central hub for, for that, because I think that, I think that, I think that this guy has that piece, that guy has this piece. And if you get all five pieces working, what will happen is an emergence will take place. If you learn this about marketing and this about self-improvement, you're going to realize they're the same concept. Yep. One of my favorite, I say it, my favorite self-improvement book is called drive by uh, uh, what's his name? Pink Pinker. Um, uh, Dan, is it Dan? Dan yeah. Yeah. Dan, uh, yeah. Daniel H H pink. Yeah. Drive. Um, that one connected the dots with everything. All of the self-help groups were, were trying to teach that I was just like, Oh, that's what they mean when they say have a vision. Oh, that's what they mean when they say, uh, like even you go back to the, the, the old school stuff that, and that's why I have pause, get stoked and flow in my stuff is that, um, this, this pseudo sexual energy that we have inside of us, that is the creative force that's in us. Um, who was it? The uh, Think and Grow Rich guy? Napoleon Hill, yeah. Yeah, Napoleon Hill talks about the the, the transmutation of sexual yeah. energy. Sexual transmutation, yeah. Yeah, so I did that, unconsciously did that, back to why we started that conversation. <laughs> so what I did was create a, a, a no matter what, and I created a video to describe it. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm – and I didn't even know that at that time, but I was transmuting the sexual energy. I put the poster of the chick on the wall and said it would be either random girls because I was planning on going to be a bartender in Maui and then eventually buy a bar in Maui and just be that guy that owns a bar and a nightclub and whatever, maybe a resort in Maui and I just surf and I paddle and I'm just that guy, you know, <laughs> and I'm either going to have the woman of my dreams next to me or women that are on vacation hanging out with me. One or the other's fine with me. I'm good either way Yeah, because I'm going to paddle. I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to do my thing all the time. And if somebody wants to fit in my thing, here's, Here's the time that I have available for the relationships and that can flow because I can change it. I can modify it, but what can't be modified is I need my water time. I need my writing time and I need to be uninterrupted during that time. Or if you want to be part of the water time, then learn how to paddleboard and surf and we can go surfing together. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to be part of that, then just know that if I get grumpy, the first thing you should say is shut the computer and go paddleboard. And my mm -hmm. wife does it all the time. She's like, Tim, I don't want to hear anything else about our future until I see pictures of you posting on the light on the lake. You say you're going to go paddle boarding and you don't, and then you stress yourself out. And she said, I know, you know, everyone in your life knows if you get your ass on that paddle board, you're going to find out what's cl not clicking here. And you're going to apply that principle in your next move. Yeah. So go paddle and let this flow because she's like, I saw the change in you. I see it. Stop trying to explain it to me. She's like, just live it. I'm here for the ride. Just go for it. So, what, what is it about the water that just, for some people, I'm the same way. I just got, water, bro. 
What's that? We start out in water. We start out in embryonic fluid. We're, 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 we, we are, we think about it. If you look at the con, uh, constitution of hu- human beings, the percentage of water to uh, material and look at the constitution of the planet, we're just a, we're just a fractal microcosm of that. Mm-hmm. We are water. We're fluid. The older we get, the drier we get, the more gravity that gets pushed down and then we hunch ourselves over. Um, and the, the water doesn't lie, man. The thing I love about paddling, surfing, and all of it is that I can show up at the same exact spot on land every single day. And I learn a different thing about myself because the water is different every single day. You can go to the same surf break and surf the same spot every single day and you will never surf the same wave ever. And that's how life is. Every moment is a wave. Mm-hmm. Every moment, everything is, we are literally in waves right now. Thought waves, sound waves, waves of light coming through. And we're, we're only seeing fractions of it, only hearing fractions of it. I mean, there's sounds outside of what we are able to perceive. What we don't realize is that those all cause waves internally, which then cause stories, then we get trapped in. And I don't know. I've been able to, uh, I, I'm not saying untrap myself because I go under a lot, just like with surfing. Uh, surfing's my perfect metaphor because when you, when you surf, basically you start out in the whitewash and it's crumbly and then you get your balance there and then you go out to, and I was lucky enough to live in San Clemente at the time. I was living in Dana Point working in Laguna Beach, but once I started surfing, I moved further away from work and closer to the wave I wanted to be on. Yeah. So I could, on my days off, I would go do two or three times I would surf. And when you get to a certain point, you have to go to a wave that scares you. You have to. And there is no getting to another transition without getting held under. Like you, you cannot get to become a good surfer. Like there's waves that I'll never be able to surf. Well, I, now, I'll never be able to surf Mavericks or anything like that because I just, I, I can't, I, I don't have the inner ears to be able to do it. Like, I can't sit at the bottom of the ocean for three to five minutes. I don't have the lung capacity. I might be able to build the lung capacity, but I don't have, I can't dive deep because of my inner ear problems. Um, but there are waves next to the waves I was surfing, which are kind of beginner waves that every now and then I would go to when they weren't that crowded or since I knew a crew that I could mingle into that I wouldn't, you know, that they would say, look, he's allowed to surf this today. You have to go in and get beat up. You have to go in and get held under. You have to go in and almost die Mm. to know what you need to work on next. Like on paddle boarding at a certain point, if you're not getting wet, then you're not going to progress. And the best days to learn how to become a better, better paddler are windy and choppy days mm. with boats all around you. Because what happens is that your brain realizes that oh, I might die today. Mm. And then you aren't letting paddling happen through you. You aren't connecting with the water. The water has energy. The water has its own flow. And if you can connect with that flow, when waves are flat, when the wind's blowing in your face, if, if you're on a lake, especially, if wind's blowing in your face and it's popping a wave up, the reason the wave is popping up is because there's a current going this way. And if you know where the light is dancing off of these currents and you watch 
not where your board is, but a few feet in front of you and you match your rhythm with that stroke, your board will level off and you will float and go forward faster than you think you could because you're not fighting the current coming against you. Mm-hmm. That's not a good metaphor for living. I don't know what is. Well, I've always, I've looked at the world in the last say 12, 13 years with a very masculine feminine dynamic and just l- seeing those different energies, obviously in people, but also in nature and in, and in design and in environments and all that. And the ocean to me, or just water in general is a great metaphor for feminine energy yeah. and uh, the waves and the cycles and the, uh, and the illogical, irrational nature of it, which can be uh, at times consuming and you can get, you know, taken under Drowning. trying to survive, Drowning. right? But, but it can also be absolutely beautiful and dynamic and awesome. for, yep. And for masculine no, I energy. Talk, I, I can't imagine if we're talking about the ocean, the water or my wife. That's, but that's my point. Like there, she's not unpredictable like that. My wife's the unicorn. She's like the most mellow, calm person I've ever met in my life. Like she just, she just rolls with it, man. She is just so unicorn. Well, but you have a lot of that feminine energy. Yeah, I'm the bitch in the relationship. And no, 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 no. I wouldn't say a bitch. I would say feminine. Like, no, I I mean that in a in a complimentary way. My 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 family. My uncle. uh, He's a big biker guy. I was so scared of him all my life. Until I was 33, he, 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 anyone, any of my cousins around me had to call me Tammy uh, while he was in front, while he was with them. And then I was getting this tattoo by a cousin of mine across my chest, across my back. And I was laying there and this, and, and my um, cousin's son, so it was also a cousin, he comes in and I'm getting this tattoo on my, on my side and I'm just like this. And he goes, dad, I think cousin Timmy just fell asleep getting a tattoo. And he goes, by Eric? Like he's the worst tattoo. Like he's the most painful tattooist on the planet. So he comes in. Next thing I know, he's on the phone with. He's like, "Hey, Uncle Dick. Um, so we're not we're not calling Tim Tammy anymore because he's all mad. Like you should sleep getting a brutal tattoo. <laughs> he hasn't even flinched yet, and he, and Eric's giving him a tattoo on his rib cage right now. It's, and then he was like, so my uncle came up to me at Thanksgiving that year, and he shook my hand. He goes, "How you doing, Tim?" First time, 33, 34 years old was the first time this man ever called me by my, a manly name. Wow. Because I've always been this guy. I've always been emotional. And every time someone says, man up, don't be a bitch, I'm just like, uh, I don't even know how that works, man. Like, I don't get it. I understand what they're trying to say. I, I get what they're trying to do. And I understand that manliness now. Um but I just didn't get it. Like, well, there's, there's a place for it. There are, there are times where we need to quote unquote man up. And, and I mean that for both men and women is like, we yeah. need to grow some balls. You, yeah. Well, you can't, you can't just always stay in an open uh, connected state. Sometimes you have to move forward. So there's times for that, but calling a little boy, Tammy's probably not the most effective. I mean, it might, it might've been a, one of those, you know, you were talking earlier, like, the, the whole moving towards or moving away values like that might be a really good uh motivation for you to it might it also might be why at at a certain age i just started smoking weed and doing everything hey, possible because i because i because oh that's brutal psychologically I've always, that's... I've always been a storyteller too and a long-winded one as well so the amount of times 
that my family, and the funny thing is, is that now I actually make money off of stories, just talking shit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That like, I, and, and as I go, it's going to happen even more. Um, and now that I know about branding and brand telling stories, when I do launch some brands or restaurants and stuff, it's literally going to be my stories behind these brands that grow them so that my family, so I'm literally going to start a family trust based on stories to support all of the people that told me to keep that, that continually told me, Tim, just shut the fuck up. I love it. It's, it's, it's all going to come around. Yeah. 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 So, oh, uh, but you know, <laughs> And again, here's the thing is that I might, I might've just convinced myself of all of it because it is all just a story. Our lives are just all a story. It is, but you, you've done a lot of work to get to that place. I know a lot lot of work. work, And, and, and by the way, if anybody is experiencing what they think I might've gone through, I definitely suggest do not do this on your own and don't get me as your coach, get therapy because I think, I could have fixed some of what was going on in me with a trained psychologist a lot quicker, more effectively and a lot less painfully than what I did on my own. But that being said, I'm glad I didn't yeah. because I don't know that, uh, I don't know that, I don't know that therapy could have allowed me to build this philosophy in my brain and this, you know, bubble, whatever it is that I'm in right now. And uh, I have never, ever, felt comfortable being who I am as a person ever until six or seven months ago. Here's a cool thing. Um, I worked at a place and left it for a job that was better, quote unquote. And I just didn't feel it there. I was making a lot more money than I was. And this other place called me back and they were like, Tim, is there any way we can talk you back? I said, yeah, if you let me control my schedule, cause I'm on a mission and I need what, instead of money right now, what I need is just a little bit of money. And I need to know that I'm only working the days that I want to work so that I can control the other hours. I don't want to have to wait till Thursday to find out when I'm working next week. If you can do that, I'll work for you. So I did. I went back to work for him. And within, I think it was probably the first week, everybody that was like, oh, Tim's coming back, was like, dude, what'd you do? I'm like, what do you mean what'd I do? And they're like, um, like I'm really confused because... I thought I had this idea of who you are in my head and you're nothing like that. And I said, I was like that when I left here. So that's why you have that idea. I said, the worst part about it is my wife still sees the guy that you, you thought I was when I came back here. She still hasn't seen me yet. What happened? I, I, uh, I really sat down and, and, and redefine And I do this on a monthly basis. I look at who I've been that month. And I hold myself accountable to that. I don't want to be that guy. And I redo the story that's in my head of who I am as a person, how I show up in the world. And what matters to me most is that um, I spent my life struggling and suffering and, and struggling. And there were so many people that were good people that were so busy in their own stories that they didn't recognize. They just saw the smile on my face thinking I wasn't in pain. And they caused more pain in my life than they should have or could have or wanted to because they just, they were, they weren't paying attention to what was going on around them. Do you have a, do you have a structure at all for redefine, you know, you said you do it on a monthly basis. Do you just kind of sit and, and go with what comes to you or go with the flow of it? Or do you have, I I break it down. I break it down organically on, on what, 
I, I break it down kind of backwards. Like, so if you wave a magic wand and it's all perfect and you, you got, you know, that you're a millionaire, they're the lottery ticket kind of thing that a lot of self-help people do. If you do that and you were living as if, what's the as if look like? And then I, what I do is just get rid of all of that as if the money and this, that, and the other, and think, wait, if I was that person, I would be doing these things like stopping by to check on my neighbor because at the end of my dad's life, everybody that I grew up with who helped raise me as a human being, who I consider family, the last two years because he was so closed and he had cancer and he was ashamed, these people saw him withering away and no one cooked him a meal and came over and just sat with him to watch TV. Mm. You know, no one, we just don't do that because we're too busy trying to get ours and, and get ours for ourselves. So I just look at, uh, at what I wish I could have done differently back then and the type of decisions I could have made. Um, I think of the freedom that I want and the decisions I have to make to make that freedom happen mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And then I think, okay, but if that never happens, then what can you do to live that way? So when I wait tables or 10 bar, I also think of this. I look around the restaurant and anyone that gets in my section, I assume that this could be their last meal. And I don't do it for the money. I do it because they came in wanting an experience and it's my duty to look and see what that experience is. If they're standoffish and they want to be douchebags, I just do the mechanics of waiting tables. If I think that they're lonely, then I look at, I, I make sure that I hold eye contact just a little bit to say and internally say, Hey man, I see you. Mm -hmm. I get it. Um, if they're open, then I play with them a little bit. And I, I did this one thing. I walked this kid I never saw again, but I did this. Uh, he came in with his girl and they, they were celebrating their birthday. It was his 21st. She was 22. We're sitting there talking and I, and I always, I find music is a good bridge. So Beyonce song came on and I started singing when I came over and they were laughing and they were like this crazy white dude. So Less than 10 minutes, I'm up in this guy's face, this close. And I, and I look at him, and I, his hat brim is on my forehead right here. And I look at him, and I said, hey, man, do you ever think that you would walk into a bar in the middle of nowhere, and some random crazy dude would be looking you this deep in the eyes and say, hey, I don't even know your name, but I love you. <laughs> and he looks at me and goes, no. And I said, let me ask you this. Did you ever think that would happen? You'd feel this comfortable having a white dude in your bubble in 2019 with all the crazy shit going on in our world and put his hand on your shoulder like this and say, hey, dude, I love you. And he smiled and tears came out of his eyes. And he was like, no. I said, did you ever think it would feel that good? And he was like, no. Hmm. I said, do you think that could actually happen? He was like, no. And I said, well, look at her jaw because it's on the floor because it is happening. It just happened. I just said that and you're not freaked out. Now I want to ask you, have you ever heard that from a family member or maybe her and been able to accept it the way you did with me just now? And he looked at me and goes, no, I have never had anyone tell me they love them, love me and it feel that good. And I said, so here's how I did that. I meant it like unconditionally. I don't know you. You don't have to prove anything to me. You're on this planet. So I love you. And I can, I can say that to you and I mean it and you don't have to accept it. That is called unconditional love. 
And I said, if you can do that in this moment and you can give that to her, this is how we change the world. Now just go out and do whatever the hell you want to do in life, but do it with that and you won't go wrong. Make sure that that is your whole mission is to love everybody unconditionally because we're family. I don't care if you're a Muslim and you want to kill me. I get it because whatever happened in your life that made that made sense, man, I've been so close to be, I, I was born, I was in the nineties and luckily that didn't happen at my school. But I was in high school during Columbine, and I wore a trench coat. Just everybody on this planet is lucky that that rage didn't go outward and it stayed inward. Because I know what it feels like to be so fucking alone that you just want to blow it all up. Mm -hmm. So I get it. So I can love anybody on this planet even though they're showing up as complete assholes and they want to kill us and everybody around us. I can still love them. Now, if they get too close... I'm going to have to kill them, but I'm just killing the animal, putting it down and not the person. Right. Because there's a difference. We are both as people and we're animals. And when you look at our history, there's no way to separate the things that our country has done and the results that we're seeing. And there's no way to not realize that at some level, we're the empire and they're Luke Skywalker. You know, in their world, that's the reality. They're, we're the bad guys. They're the good guys because for whatever reason, I don't know. But I, all I know is that from my experience, this is what the world looks like. And when I was hurting, I wanted to hurt other people. Whether that was a conscious or not, how I felt inside is how I wanted you to feel. Mm-hmm. And I felt insignificant i felt worthless i felt like i should be ashamed so if i got triggered to feel any type of love is the oddest thing if you showed anything to me that you liked me you respected me you valued me as a person something inside me would find a way to make you feel small and insignificant so that you would change your mind quickly I don't know why. Uh, road rage has always been an issue for me. Still kind of is every now and then. It's something that I have to work on. So I lean into that and I use those. I use the moments that I act the way that I don't want to act and I lean into those. Like I don't, I didn't, I don't want to mow the lawn. I don't want to do it. I feel proud that my lawn looks better. My neighbor the other day said it's, he's lived here 30 years. He's never seen this property look as good as it has. Last year, I started doing it. I started looking at the, at the weather report and picking the hottest, worst time to do it and then not drink any water before that. Like I, I could have died a couple times in Texas heat out here yeah. because I wanted to trim the bushes even though everything inside me hated this moment. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to – so I would sit out there and it would take me – a 20 minute job take me two to three hours in the sun because I refuse to take one swipe with the negativity that I have inside me. So I find this space of calm. I take a swipe. And then when I catch myself, I kind of want to do this. I stop, I breathe, I listen to the air. And then after a while I can get through, I can go out and mow the lawn and I'm just like, and having fun doing it and my neighbors are like get out of the sun man it's 150 degrees outside why are you out there and i'm like because 
I have to do it like this. I have to, I have to do it at the worst possible time because if I try to wait for the best possible time, I'm still going to talk myself out of doing it. And if I can mow my lawn in 110 degree heat and get through that, I can do a lot of shit, you know? Yeah. So, well, I, uh, you gotta go this. Well, my dog is sitting here looking at me. I don't know if you can hear her, but she's, she's starting to growl a little bit. She needs to go outside. So I gotta do that. But, um, Dude, I, I knew this conversation was going to be an interesting one at the very least. Um, it feels like it's been uh, like riding the waves, you know, soul surfing. It feels, it, you know, in a, in a good way, in a positive way. Um, so I, I, I appreciate what you're doing, man. I do think that there is some, there's, there was a lot of gold nuggets in this conversation. And I appreciate you sharing those with you. I love the idea of hiring yourself. Um, it sort of forces you to look at anyone I'm talking, you know, uh, yeah. rhetorically it forces anyone to sort of think about what value are they bringing to the, to the table and then to be in alignment with their own genius, you know, their inner genius. Well, that, um, I love that you just said that. Cause that's my thing is that why I'm telling everybody to slow down right now and press pause is because the world's transitioning pretty damn fast and technology is going to break some things. We've got, Bitcoin going to take out the dollar. Um, power structures are going to fade, come and go, and there's going to be a vacuum. And for the next couple of years, it's going to get weird, man. Like AI is going to take over stuff. We're going to lose 60% of the workforce soon. We have to figure out a different way of structuring the economy. Some people might not like the idea of universal basic income, but it seems like it's going to be the only option because not everybody's built like an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows how to create value in the marketplace. We have to teach these things to people. We have to teach it now, but we have to first slow down and think of, wait, what if it all fell apart? Then what? Because if it all fell apart, here's the reality. We're neighbors, man. Like, Hey, the internet's not going away and we can talk. We can, we can, we can come up with some solutions. If it all fell apart, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. You, you hear people say, you know, it's the end of the world as we know it. And I go, yeah, that's always, that's also the beginning of the world as you don't know it. And maybe that world is better than what we have right now. So if it's the end of the world as we know it, okay. So let Rome burn. What do we build now? Exactly. look Look what happened when Rome burned. Some things weird shit happened. And then, Another thing came out and it came out of the principles of Rome and we have America. Now, if we can burn this all to the ground and we can morph what it was with technology and we can say, look, we were born into some very fortunate circumstances and we have opportunities to, some of us have opportunities to make a lot of money. And if we do this right in a very short period of time, we can create infrastructures for people that are born without these opportunities and create those opportunities. There's nothing more noble that I can think of for me to do. And I'm not going to have kids probably. I have nothing to leave behind. And I'm the last of my bloodline. I'm the last Macaulay in my family tree. Last Macaulay male. Last guy who might never procreate. So that's what I want to leave. Hmm. I, 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 want to, I want to talk to enough people and have the conversations one-on-one with people in certain areas that can make a difference. And I think we all can. I think that there's untapped genius in everybody. 
And especially somebody that's gotten to a certain point in their life, if they learn some basic principles of tuning into themselves and how to find the flow of their work day, they can actually have it all. They can have the relationship, the businesses, and the impact that they crave. And I'm going to show one person at a time if they want to come along on that ride with me. Love that, man. Where can somebody go to find out more about you? Uh, I, I, dude, I talk a lot of shit on Facebook. So on my personal profile page, if you want to become friends, I'm not maxed out at 5,000 and just start a conversation there. Um, if you want me to sell you on some ideas about yourself, I've got soul surfer school. I set it up and it's pure propaganda and I, I make no bones about it, but I'm (laughs) going to do, I used to do Saturday soul surfer sessions from the heart, just speaking from the heart. So I'm going to do that as a free model. And then I'm opening up the idea of some type of paid continuity model. If people want to go deeper into the conversation and I have, uh, I'm only taking on maybe four to five clients a month at a time because I, I, I don't really, it, I don't have it. I, I don't have a structure. I don't have a program. It is literally a choose your own adventure conversation that I do with people. Um, and until I can systematize that, I don't think that bringing on too many people would be healthy for me or them. So if people want one-on-one coaching and they're at a certain level and they already know kind of a vague mission of where they want to go, then they can reach out and we can, we can maybe breach that conversation. But um, we would have to have a couple conversations before I could even, even offer what, what the it's 13 week program where I teach you how to find your own little stuff. So com. if you want to just read about it and jump on the free email list and get in my atmosphere, um, like, like I did with you, that you can, you can attest to this, dude, I'm not trying to sell you shit, man. You no. came in, you were like, Hey, we need to talk. I was like, let's talk. Yeah. <laughs> and if in five minutes, I think you're a douchebag. I'll say, let's not talk again. <laughs> and if I like you and you have a podcast, apparently I didn't know about that. So I just want you to know that or I want everybody to know that I have an agenda, but my agenda is no agenda. Like if you're a fit and I'm like, Hey man, for six grand right now, I'm doing coaching. If you want, I can help you get from here to there. And then I can show you how to do this on 12 week cycles that I think, I think you're going to love. I think, I, I think anyone can be a billionaire in the next 10 years, starting from scratch. I think it's possible that avenues are there. The investments are there. It's just knowing what to pay attention on to and how to focus through the noise is the trick yeah tim thank you brother appreciate it thank you and um so uh i feel like i i I, not that you're doing any transactions but just the honor of being on here um if you need anything you've you've got me in your corner uh if you need brainstorming sessions i'm like great strategist. If you're stuck with anything, I'm not trying to sell you into coaching at all. Like I'm legitimately, I like what I've seen on your podcast. And if you want some help with anything, dude, you've got me, you've got my attention now. And uh, I think that whatever your mission is, is that if I can help be part of it, then, then you always, anytime you want to reach out, just say, Hey, I need your help. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. I I do have actually a couple of things I'd love to get your feedback on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's set something up. Vice versa, of course. All right, man. All right, brother. Have a good one. See ya. Take it easy. See ya.